If you aren't familiar with Pastor Mike's teaching, you are definitely missing out. He's got a down-to-earth approach that is so easy to listen to. I appreciate how transparent he is and willing to tackle really hard issues with kindness and love and unbelievable compassion. I love to listen to sermons in podcast form because I can listen while doing the dishes or weeding or exercising. Check out Time of Grace with Pastor Mike Novotny anywhere you listen to podcasts. Today, we are still in our series titled, There's More to the Story, but I'm taking a little tiny diversion with an episode that I'm calling, Search Me and Make Me Clean. Hey guys, it's Amber, wife, mother, warrior, type A child of God. Here at Little Things, we examine everyday issues from a biblical perspective with one simple goal, to know and love God more. Thanks for joining me. Now, when I talked about Esther chapter 2 and Esther being taken into the king's harem, I mentioned that a lot of times people sort of think it's glamorous because she had a year's worth of cosmetic treatment. So she had all sorts of cosmetics used, and then they had six months with oil of myrrh. I don't even know what that means exactly. I couldn't really find anything in the commentaries. But um, all that to say that a lot of women look at that like, oh man, can you imagine having spa treatments all the time and how wonderful that would be and to be pampered and all that and kind of make it out to be really glamorous when the truth was she was confiscated from her cousin and taken to a place and it wasn't really that great of a situation. But I wanted to get into skincare a little bit because... For years, I took zero, and I mean zero interest in skincare. I bought whatever face cleanser was on sale. Not a problem if I couldn't find one. I just used soap. I was very much like low maintenance, right? (laughs) And anyway, age is catching up with me, and I decided last summer that, you know, I probably should at least try to take care of my skin somewhat. And so I really took a deep dive into trying to learn how to, um, you know, kind of thwart aging a bit and take better care of my skin. And I didn't just want anything because I'm sort of a natural organic girl. And so I looked into all sorts of potions and serums and exfoliants and cleansers. And anyway, long story short, I um, bought a clay mask. So you can buy these tubes of things that you put on your mat on your face and they dry and they're a mask and then you wash them off. And the whole idea is exfoliation, which is to bring the impurities to the surface and then, you know, really get a good clean in your pores. And so I had this clay mask on and it was drying and I was sort of horrified at what I was seeing. You know, you, you just see every pore in your face when you put these things on. And I had this thought, like, this is, you know, cool that you can put this on your face and it sort of brings to the surface what's underneath, right? But here's the thing. Wouldn't it be cool? And isn't it way more important to really take a look at the condition of our heart? 
So a couple of things that I've read lately in the Bible have really been moving me towards this and reminding me of this, especially with the whole skincare thing. So Psalm 51 starts by saying, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgression, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. Blot out, wash, cleanse. Make me pure. You know, do a deep dive. Get get in there and get the impurities out. out. So how do we do this when it comes to our heart? And when it comes to sin, well, step number one, I think, is we have to wake up to our own sinfulness. And that's not always easy, especially in my church body. I think we concentrate a whole lot on grace, which is awesome. We have to. I mean, if we focused on law all the time, we would all be depressed. So, you know, it's it's good that we really know that Jesus did it all. It is by grace we're saved. You know, it's nothing we did. We, it's a total gift, right? There, there's nothing you can do to earn God's favor or to get more saved or, you know, to fall from grace if you do the wrong sin. Jesus died. He paid for it all. So with that in mind, like, why would we even want to worry about the condition of our heart? I mean, we're saved, right? Yeah, maturity. That's the answer. Maturity. So when my children were super small, you know, when Christmas was coming or some other holiday and we were going to have people over, I'd give everybody chores, right? You know, clean up your room, wipe down the counter in the bathroom, help me unload the dishwasher or whatever. And, you know, when you ask a five or six or seven or eight-year-old to do it, you really expect an eight-year-old's job, right? I mean, you expect them to do it to their age level. But if I were to ask the same thing of my children now, having children in their late teens and early 20s, I would expect much different results. If I asked them to do something, now all I have to do is send a text like, hey, so-and-so is going to stop over. Can you clean the house? And I know when I come home, you know, the entryway is going to be picked up. All the shoes are going to be in their spot. They're going to clean the kitchen counters. The dishes will be put away. If there were dirty dishes, they will be washed they know what to do. Get new towels in the bathroom, make sure it's clean, blah, blah, blah. So it's a much different expectation because the kids are older. In the same way, we don't want our faith to stay at the same point that we were when we became Christians. I mean, we love the idea of grace and it's something that we can never, ever become, you know, start taking for granted. We should never, ever become, you know, oblivious to the fact that grace is amazing. That, that is something we should live with our entire life. But on the same token, we want to become mature. We don't want to be stuck with these impurities and we don't want to be okay just letting our heart be in whatever condition it's in and go, oh, well, that's just who I am. At some point, we want to go, no, God, I don't want to stay where I was. I want you to show me my sinfulness so I can correct it. So we need to examine ourselves. We need to examine ourselves. We need to examine our relationships. Where is the dirt? Where are the impurities that show up time after time? Do you lose your temper? Are you impatient with people? Do you have expectations that people do things your way? Are you lazy? Are you selfish? 
what is it that's in your heart that comes up that causes problems time and again? Okay, then where do we go with that? Well, going back to Psalm 51, verses 10 to 12, they say this, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Okay, how does this happen? How do we make our heart pure? How do we make our our heart clean? Well, it's a daily process, just like skincare. So, you know, when I started this whole skincare thing, I'm doing stuff in the morning, I'm doing stuff in the evening. Once a week, I'm exfoliating, I'm doing special moisturizing. And it's funny because, you know, two months in, I can see such a change. We want to do the same with our hearts. So in Martin Luther's explanation of baptism, he said this, the old Adam, that's our sinful nature, in us should by daily contrition and repentance be drowned and die with all sins and evil desires And a new man should daily emerge and arise to live before God in righteousness and purity forever. What is contrition? It's remorse. Contrition is remorse from wrongdoing. And listen, our conscience can get really dull. We have learned to ignore our conscience and we can dull it and we don't even listen to it anymore. But remember, there's a way to make it sharp again. And that is by noticing our sin, paying attention to our sin, and then feeling the guilt when we do something wrong. So when we do something wrong and we feel remorse for wrongdoing, then we can change. And that's where repentance come in. Repentance is actually to turn. So just over the weekend, I was teaching the teens at church about John the Baptist, and we talked about John came preaching a message of repentance, and he said, you should be producing the fruit of repentance. What does that mean? It means you should be able to see that something has changed. To repent means to turn. And so when we have changed, we're going to not do the same things that we were doing before. And so when we start to get into those old habits, something in us says, wait a second, we're not doing that anymore. We're doing something different. So I remember very specifically a time that I was uh, teaching a Bible study and a dear, dear friend of mine was at the Bible study and she mentioned speeding and how easy it is for Christians to justify speeding, that she knows many people who don't even pay attention to the speed limit. So if the speed limit's 65, they're like, well, the cops don't even pull you over unless you're going like 72 or 73. So they just, you know, roar past. And she's like, do you realize that that's a sin? Because you are deliberately breaking the speed limit. You're saying the governor or the government officials who have put that in place didn't mean me. The rules don't apply to me. And so you're just thumbing your nose at the rules and the laws that the people who are governing have put in place. And by doing so, you are sinning against God. And you know, I made a conscientious effort ever since then. I really do not do well in terms of knowing how fast I'm going. I, it's it's always been a problem, but I can use my cruise control. So I have my cruise control on all the time now, whether I'm in a 30 mile an hour zone, a 55, a 65, 70, I am always 
relying on my cruise control to keep me going the right speed. And now if I don't put the cruise control on, I really make a point of looking down and saying like, okay, well, where am I at? Because a friend of mine pointed that out. Before that, I hadn't even thought about it. It wasn't anything that was on my radar. My conscience was not in tune to that. But we really want to get to the point that we can, by daily contrition and repentance, um, think about what we're doing and choose a different route. So another thing we want to be doing is daily being in the word because God is going to show us in a different way. He's going to teach us. He's going to guide us. Things that are going to shape and inform us to keep our heart pure and clean. How do we do that? Well, I mentioned before that it's so easy to just be in our own selfish habits and not worry about what anybody else thinks or or the first thing that comes to our mind is, well, how is this how is this going to affect me? Whether it's at work or in our family when someone says, "Hey, is it okay if I do this?" It's so easy to think, "Well, how is this going to affect me?" What do we do about that? Well, when we get to the word, we're going to hear passages like Philippians 2, 3 to 4, where the apostle Paul tells us to do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, rather value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. And then he goes a step further. And he goes, in fact, your attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus, who did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. He goes on to talk about him becoming human and then subjecting himself to death and even death on a cross. So when you're in the word and you come across a passage like that, if you're taking the time to meditate on the word, if you're ruminating over what it's saying, you're going, wait a second. I struggle with that. I do have selfish ambitions. I do have vain conceit. What is vain conceit? It's excessive pride, an elevated view of yourself. And when you immediately think something like, well, wait a minute, I don't want that, you know, at work with a decision or with your family or at church or whatever, when the first thing that comes to mind is, well, that's not any easier for me. Or look how this affects me. Who, who was thinking of me when this decision was made? That's vain conceit. That's selfish ambitions. So we really want to, when we read the word, let the word seep into our hearts. And that's the beauty of praying before, after we're in the word, asking the Holy Spirit to be with us, to show us the condition of our hearts, to guide us, to shape us, and to help us to apply what we're reading to our own lives. And as we're doing that, the word is going to seep in. So instead of those selfish ambitions, the vain conceit, having their way in our heart, like a blackhead, just the impurity taking over our heart, we're going to be reading the word and letting it cleanse us, wash us, create in us a pure heart, O God, renew a steadfast spirit, a steadfast spirit that is totally and completely into the word and wants to do things God's way. That's maturity. 
Maturity is saying, it's not about me, God. It's 100% about you. And Jesus is such a perfect example. When you read and study the Gospels, Jesus will absolutely you know, be the one spurring you to live so differently. And he will be showing you a better way just by his own life and then by the words that he's saying. So even in Matthew 20, verses 25 to 28, Jesus said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus didn't just preach it. He didn't just come down from heaven and say, this is what you should do. If you're going to have a pure heart, if you're going to walk with God, if you're going to really be steadfast and committed, and if you're going to be mature, this is what you should do. He lived it. He was all-powerful, omniscient. He could have had all the people serving him constantly. But he made himself the servant, and he showed us how to serve. So when we read the Gospels, when we read the Bible, when we read the Old Testament, even the Psalms, Psalm 51, it should do something to us. It should make us examine our life Um, do that daily contrition and repentance. And then it should guide us to a different way. And then I love Psalm 5112, which says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Those words restore and sustain, those are kind of catchphrases in the skincare world, right? Oh, restore your youthful glow. Or sustain that look that you want. Don't let your skin become withered and and oily or or, um, wrinkled. Like you want restoration and to be sustained. And don't we want that for our hearts? I know when I pray that, restore to me the joy of your salvation. God does a good work in me. He really does. Because I can become really bummed out with life. Sometimes it's just so overwhelming and life can be so stressful and people can constantly let you down and make decisions that you think, man, I thought we were further along than this. And then they do this and that didn't go. And you turn on the news and you're like, seriously, is there anything good happening anywhere in the world? Why do we focus on this? And yet, when I pray and ask God to restore to me the joy of your salvation, man, does he come through over and over and over again. More than once, people have quit the job where I'm working now, and they'll send me a text or they'll send me a message afterwards, and they're like, working with you was the best thing that happened when I was there because there was something so different about you. You made the job, you know, fun and you were always encouraging me or whatever. And I love to respond to them and say, what you saw in me was Jesus. I pray and I ask God to really let me reflect Jesus. And when you saw that, and when you felt that, that was God's love. 
that was him shining through me. So whatever it is in me that you saw and you appreciated and you loved coming to work to feel that's God and that can be yours. It's a relationship with God. One other thing that I think is so important, and that is just our prayer life. And I'm just going to encourage you to mature in your prayer life, to go beyond the basics, particularly the physical things that we tend to concentrate on, and actually start thinking more spiritually in your prayer life. So I, if you've been listening to me at all, you know that beginning in the um, in January of 2022, I started going through the book of Proverbs, and I've been going through it deliberately, extremely slow. Three, four, sometimes five verses a day, no more. I write them out. I pray them. I, you know, talk uh, talk to the Lord in my journal about how this is me or this isn't me or keep me from this sin or help me to do better, guide me so I don't go down this path. Pray for my family. I'm praying for all different things that I've prayed for before. But I'm now at the end of Proverbs and I've I'm just finishing Proverbs 30. And Proverbs 38 to 9 has been um verses that have stuck in my mind for a very long time. They are definitely like a little piece of sand or a stone in my shoe that kind of rubs against me and has me coming back to those and thinking on them. And I think more so today than maybe even five years ago. So the verses say this, keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. Here's what I notice in this prayer. He really is completely in tune with his weaknesses. As in, he doesn't say, God, give me all this and I'll serve you. He says, God, give me just enough. Because I don't want to, you know, muddy your name one way or the other. If I have too much, I may just think I'm all it. But if I don't have enough, I'm afraid that I'm going to dishonor you because I'm going to try to get things dishonestly. That really makes me think, because in my prayer life, am I praying that I glorify God? Am I praying and saying, God, just give me what I need? Am I praying and saying, God, your will be done? Take me down the path that helps me to be the best servant to you possible. And if that's less money, great. I'm happy to work less in this capacity so I can work more in this capacity. Or God, help my family to stay close to you, whatever that means. That might mean there's some adversity coming into our life. But you know what? We're walking with God. We are relying on him to get through the day. It can really change your prayer life when you stop thinking about just getting the most out of life here and now, or when you stop praying for God to just give you, give you, give you, give you, give you, or when you stop asking for an easy life and you start saying, 
you know me, God. And I'm doing my best to really examine my heart. And this is what I'm seeing. I'm seeing that I tend to be impatient with people when I'm in these situations. And so I'm going to need you to remind me of your patience with me. I'm going to need you to help me. So I either avoid these situations or give me an insane amount of patience so that I can be loving all the time. It's just a matter of changing your prayer life so that you're spiritually in tune with God and so that you go beyond that infancy where it's just about asking God for, you know, your basic necessities and your easy life and things to just go your way. And you start thinking about the kingdom at large and how you fit into the kingdom. And Lord, you need workers in the kingdom. Where can I serve you best? Where do you want me? What do you want me doing? How have you gifted me so that I can serve your people? Who around me needs me right now? How can I spread your word today? How can I move people closer to you today? Man, that's a different thing altogether. Spiritually, physically, you know, this whole business with skincare and Esther's six months of this and six months of that and her time in the harem really has me thinking about wanting to really be more concerned with my heart, be more concerned with studying God's word, with my prayer life. And then the idea being when you have a pure heart and when you are in tune with God, man, God use me. Let other people see my glow so that I can shine for you. This has been Little Things, because in God's kingdom, the little things are the big things. Thanks for listening to Little Things today. I know that there are so many things that you could listen to, so I don't take it for granted that you are here listening to me now. I want to listen to you. If you have any feedback or suggestions, if there's topics that you'd like to see me cover, or if you'd just like to say hi, go ahead and drop me an email at amber at timeofgrace.org.